welcome to the Highly Sensitive Podcast. I'm Lauren LaSalle, and I'm a licensed therapist, highly sensitive person, and HSP coach. This bi-weekly podcast is meant for highly sensitive people and their loved ones, as both experiences will be discussed. Thank you for joining me, and let's begin. Welcome to the Highly Sensitive Podcast. I'm Lauren, and today's guest is Taylor Carson. Taylor is a licensed professional counselor and owner of a private practice in Connecticut. Taylor's pronouns are she, her, and she also identifies as highly sensitive. Taylor has completed qualitative research on the common experiences of highly sensitive people and presented at state and national conferences on counseling HSPs with Dr. Misty Ginicola. Taylor will be joining Dr. Ginicola in co-authoring a book for counselors about the experiences of neurodivergent people through an HSP lens. I really enjoyed my conversation with Taylor. She talks a little bit about the research that she did in grad school, how she discovered that she's a highly sensitive person, what it's like working with highly sensitive people as a therapist, especially children, and ways that she supports her clients. So before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that if you have any ideas for episode topics, if you have any questions for me to answer on the podcast, or if you would like to write an email sharing your story for me to read on the podcast, you can email all of that to me at lauren at laurenlasallecoaching.com. You can find out more about my coaching program as well as resources and links to my social media by visiting my website at laurenlasallecoaching.com. All right, here is my conversation with Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. So what was your experience like discovering that you are a highly sensitive person? So I have to say that I had no idea what high sensitivity was until I was in grad school. My mentor and now colleague, Dr. Misty Ginicola, actually asked if I wanted to do research with her. Uh, and so I said, yes, of course, like that sounds like a great experience. And so she was doing it on highly sensitive people. And as I started researching like what that meant, you know, having no idea what it is and going in brand new, I started to think this sounds a lot like me. And so I went to her and I said, a lot of these things sound like me. Am I highly sensitive? And she was like, yep, like, I knew you were from the moment I met you. And so (laughs) it was kind of an interesting thing to kind of come upon that and then learn what that was and do the research. And then, you know, kind of expand to being able to connect with so many highly sensitive people, including therapists. I think that that's been a great experience kind of coming into learning what high sensitivity means. It sounds like it was a great time to become aware of that in yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I think I definitely am a different person, even like from the person I was before grad school to grad school, like grad school changed me a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was, I definitely became into myself. I mean, I learned that I love a lot of holistic things. I like mindfulness. I like tapping. I like incorporating a lot of those kind of natural things into my practice too. Oh, nice. So can you talk a little bit more about your experience researching high sensitivity and some things that you learned from that experience? Yeah. So we did a qualitative study where we talked to highly sensitive people 
and ask them questions about growing up, how they were kind of seen, how they felt. And our goal was to create some like common themes and common experiences of highly sensitive people. So kind of what we found was that, you know, a lot of us were introverts. There were some that were extroverts, of course, but we were most commonly seen as shy and strange, maybe a little bit awkward sometimes because of how quiet we were and a lot of misunderstanding by people about whether, you know, like when we need time, you know, to kind of recoup and like being a kid, you know, always being on the go, you know, always wanting to do something new. It's, it's just not like that for highly sensitive people. And so I think a lot of those themes kind of were validating in a way for both myself and, you know, a lot of the other participants. Oh, that sounds really interesting. It must've been cool to kind of learn about yourself as you went through this research too. Yeah. And so I think that it's, it was, it was learning about myself. I mean, I am a avid book reader. I have picked up every book that I could have found about highly sensitive people, um, you know, starting with um, Dr. Aaron's, but it's just so interesting to me that this was something that I had no idea about until I was in grad school. I mean, I was 20, 21, right? 21, 22. I mean, at that point. And so I've lived a lot of my life um, not mm. knowing what that was. Yeah. It seems like, and I don't know if this is just because I'm already aware of it, <laughs> but it seems like it's becoming more widespread about highly sensitive people. And I mean, with so much information on the internet, you know, you can find pretty much anything these days, but it is interesting how I feel like so many of us had that like moment where it just clicked mm -hmm. and then we really understood ourselves or started to be able to actually understand ourselves. And I think it's really cool. And I just hope parents are aware of this for their kids growing up, because I think that could be so beneficial to kids Absolutely, being able to understand like their needs from, from an early age. And I, so I think the highly sensitive child is a good read on that, but also, I don't know if you've read the highly sensitive parent, mm -hmm. which came out. I thought that that was great too. And so I, I have worked with quite a few parents kind of trying to explain that sometimes the disorders and the experiences that their children have been having and those disorders they've had in the past may not necessarily be accurate. I mean, of course they can be comorbid because high sensitivity is not a diagnosis, but it doesn't pathologizing everything is something that I've definitely being aware of the high sensitivity trait, not pathologizing everything that a person goes through. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about the difference between like a, what a diagnosis is and what high sensitivity is? I think I touched upon it a little bit, um, mm -hmm. but it'd be great if you could kind of go into it a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so high sensitivity is not a diagnosis. It's a trait, an innate trait that you're born with. 20% um, of the population are born with this trait. Um, and it's actually pretty cool because it's an evolutionary trait. It's an adaptive trait. And so if you think about it, when we were cave people, if all of us were kind of just like wanting to go out and explore and um, running towards a saber-toothed tiger because it looked fun and interesting, we, we probably wouldn't be here because everybody would, you know, be, be doing and acting in that way. Mm -hmm. And so when you meet those highly sensitive people, those are the planners, the people who are like, oh, like it's 
cold. Like it's going to get cold every year. If you're in the Northeast, of course, <laughs> um, you know, we have to find shelter. Like we have to figure out fire. We have to, you know, figure out all those things. And so I think that it's pretty amazing to kind of look at the trait in that way, as well as the fact that it's not just a human trait, it's in actually a bunch of different species. And so it's pretty, has a pretty good scientific solid background. And so I find it very difficult when people uh, argue against that because there is a very big scientific balance. I mean, even if you look at the fMRI studies with the errands, I mean, you can see the brain in those are who are, who are highly sensitive reacting more on the emotional side when they see pictures of people with certain emotions. It's, you know, and so I think that's also the difficulty about it not being a diagnosis. It's like, okay, like, that's great. But like, what do I, you know, what do I do with that? You know, how, like, you know, trying to, trying to figure out, like, do I have anxiety and high sensitivity? Do I have depression and high sensitivity, um, ADHD, you know, all those kind of things that the symptoms overlap so much. And I think that that is a difficulty for those who counselors who aren't view, um, versed in high sensitivity to kind of figure out. I wish every counselor was aware of high sensitivity because I think it would just be so beneficial Mm -hmm. to the clients that, that are highly sensitive. Yeah. Because it can really pinpoint what's going on rather than just saying it's anxiety. Maybe there's more to it. And I think you and I being highly sensitive therapists, it's, I think we attract highly sensitive clients. I don't know about you, but I think I tend to, but it's also, you know, when we presented our research at, you know, the national counseling conference, I mean, I had counselors coming up to me like crying and saying, oh my God, like, this is me. Like, thank you so much. And they were there to learn about this with their clients, but then they sat there and they learned that, you know, this may be me as well. And so that was just so, that was such a feel good, you know, feeling. Oh, that's so awesome. Wow. So what are some ways that you work with and support your highly sensitive clients? And what are some tools that you offer them? Okay. So, you know, the umbrella term neurodiverse, neurodiversity, I think I spend a lot of education time kind of letting them know, like, you are a sensitive person living in an unsensitive world. So what does that mean? Like, you're not going to be neurotypical. You can mask very well, I am sure. But the fact of the matter is accepting that radical acceptance of you're not going to be in that neurotypical headspace. And it's actually a great thing. You know, your brain functions differently and that's really cool. And the fact that you feel emotion so strongly is really cool. I frame it as a superpower a lot of the time, especially with the younger kids, because obviously everybody loves superheroes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I frame it that way for the younger kids and Teaching the zones of regulation are really important, um, even for adults who are highly sensitive. I know it seems like a little bit of a um, something more geared towards children, but I really like the idea of the yellow and the red and kind of trying to figure out when you're in the yellow before it gets the red. Because, you know, as a lot of people in the service industry, yellow is I'm in the weeds, right? In the weeds means like I'm starting to get really stimulated and I don't really like it. But then when you're blown, that's when you're red. And that's when you can't do anything. And you have to just take a moment to remove yourself from the situation. And that may be really hard, Hmm. you know? So it's kind of trying to increase that awareness of when I'm in yellow so I can remove myself 
or put boundaries in boundaries is a big, you know, thing too, before I get to the red, as well as, you know, starting to recognize, you know, some energetic or body work about noticing where you're feeling that feeling. And if you're feeling that feeling, or if somebody else is, and you're taking that on. And so how to do that, how to handle those empath boundaries too, because a lot of highly sensitive people also identify as empaths sometimes. So do kids come to you as clients with their parents already knowing that they're highly sensitive or like, how does that work? I think that's happened one time in my my whole career that they were like, oh, like my kid's highly sensitive because like I am. And so like, I noticed my child having these problems that I had, but a lot of the time it's psychoeducation, you know, going on hsperson.com, going through, you know, that checklist and, you know, saying, well, there's a high likelihood because you answered affirmatively. So on so many of these that your child is highly sensitive and it's also a genetic trait. And so if one of your parents is highly sensitive, you have a 45% chance of being highly sensitive as a child. And if both of your parents are, you have a 90% chance. And so I think, you know, understanding that it's genetic and it, you know, it was somewhere in the bloodline, somewhere, someone else was described as sensitive and emotional and dramatic and all those negative words, I think that we really connotate with sensitivity. Do you find that parents are usually pretty open when you bring up high sensitivity or what's like a typical reaction that you, you tend to get from parents? I think that sometimes they're open, but a lot of the time it's kind of like, okay, like that's great, but how do I stop my kid from doing this? Mm. And it's a difficult situation to explain to them. Like your child is likely going to have meltdowns and going to have tantrums, but you may need to have some different ways of handling it. And so I talk about responsive parenting rather than reactive parenting. So that's really important, giving the child the chance to have a choice, even though it's not really a choice. So kind of framing it in that way. So they feel like they have that autonomy and they have that kind of control over, you know, what they wear, whether, you know, and things like that. So I think it's, it can be a a 50, 50 split with how the parent reacts. Well, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about? I think it would be important. I think there's a lot of research and a lot of, um, like strife in the online community about autism and whether autism and high sensitivity are the same thing, if ADHD is in there. And so I think it's a discussion that is going to start happening a lot more because high sensitivity is not becoming mainstream, but becoming more Mm well-known. And so I think it's a difficulty because, you know, wanting to assign a diagnosis, but then there are other things, right. That are in the autism criteria that are not in the HSP criteria, um, as well as with ADHD. And so I think it's just something to kind of like keep an eye out about and just be aware of like when, especially when, you know, therapists are working with clients, you know, not pathologizing every single thing diagnoses have very strict, like it has to go on for this long. This is what has to happen. This is a rule out. And so just being very aware before making a diagnosis like that, because I think certain diagnoses have certain standard treatments and some of those might not work for someone who's highly sensitive, who's not actually um, experiencing autism, but is actually highly sensitive. And so I think that's important to recognize too, is that if you have someone who's highly sensitive those standard DBT, CBT, all those wonderful modalities that are evidence-based 
are not really evidence-based with highly sensitive people. So you might have to adapt them, adapt those modalities so that they do apply to highly sensitive people more readily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I have run into that online as well on some of my posts or other people's posts saying, well, maybe you're, you should be diagnosed with autism instead of highly sensitive, being highly sensitive. And I would have no problem if I was diagnosed with autism. Yeah. It seems like they, they, some people seem to think that there's like a bias toward that. Absolutely. If that's, you know, what was going on with me, I'd be fine with it. It just doesn't, I don't feel like I fit that criteria. I much more resonate with, with the criteria, you know, for high sensitivity. So Mm -hmm. I think that is a really good thing for people to be aware of, especially if they're just going online and kind of looking for that (laughs) which I love TikTok it's so wonderful I mean it it helped me realize that you know I also have ADHD and it it helped me discover that okay like you know it's not just forgetting it's not just these things and so I love TikTok because it's a way that people can kind of connect with others but just be careful of those self-diagnosis things you know and if you're actually really concerned and there's a market affect and impact on your life to see a professional and to get some help with that. Yes, definitely. Good, good to keep in mind going on social media for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can be helpful, but also kind of dangerous. (laughs) Agreed. So where can people connect with you? So I have um, a practice of my own. It's called strength and sensitivity counseling. um, And I'm based out of Connecticut. But you can find me on Instagram, which is at strength and sensitivity, or I also have a website called sensitivecounseling.com where I have a bunch of resources um, on my library page. And a lot of those are highly sensitive books um, that I would recommend. So I think that's a good resource too. Oh, awesome. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for joining me. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much.